Uh-huh. I know what you're thinking. Is this the booth drafting the circuits? Three-way theater or the Kevin Jackson show? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I kinda lost track myself here on Hoobazoo.com. So, do you feel lucky, punk? Oscar Mike Radio. Come in. Come in, Oscar Mike Radio. Sinister One, this is Oscar Mike. I have Ulima Charlie over. is Travis with Oscar Mike Radio. Today is March 2nd, 2017. Broadcasting, like I said, from that city of champions, Brockton, Massachusetts. This is Oscar Mike Radio on the move, on mission for veterans and our active duty service members and, of course, the people that support them. Welcome to the show. And to get right to it, because I had such a good time last week, I'm going to start with, as we always do most of the time, with the question of the week. And I was in Shreveport, Louisiana last week, went by Barksdale Air Force Base, and one of my Shreveport friends asked me, why did you join the Marine Corps if you liked airplanes and aircraft so much? That's a very good question because it would have made sense, right? I was in an Air Force town with a large Air Force population in one of the largest, best Air Force bases in the world. Why wouldn't I want to join the Air Force even as a reservist and do my duty at Barksdale Air Force Base rather than go completely unknown and join the Marine Corps and live in God knows where, like Yuma, Arizona, the hottest place in the continental United States. Why would I want to do that? What what compelled me to do that? What drove me? And I thought about it, and I looked at him and said, I, I really have no idea. I think I said to myself, I, if I'm going to go in, then I'm going to go all the way and I'm going to join the Marine Corps. He's like, yeah, but you're in an Air Force town and you liked aviation and you liked airplanes and you joined the Marine Corps. I said, yeah, I joined the Marine Corps. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But hey, I was in the air wing, and he's like, you know, you, you Marines are just some dumb mofos. I said, hey, 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 I took the ASVAB, and I scored in the top 10 percentile. 
I could do whatever I wanted. And so that's what I did. You know? But, you know, was it the smartest thing to do? I don't know. But allegedly, I was a smart Marine, as my DIs used to say, as they thrashed me on the quarterdeck. I don't know. That's my answer. I was going to join. I wanted to join all the way. Maybe because there were so many Air Force people around, it just made sense to do something other than the Air Force. I don't know. So that's my answer. I'm sticking to it. And thanks for the question. And so now I'm going to move to the word. And the word section of this podcast is kind of like the word in the military. You pass the word to pass information, pass knowledge, pass awareness, usually from the top down. And the word is going to be like this uh, for this podcast. This is kind of like a setup for the whole zombie biker thing I've been talking about in prior podcasts. But it's important. And I wanted to, with this one, really kind of draw the line in the sand and talk about the history of war neurosis, combat fatigue, otherwise you know, known as shell shock, more commonly known today as PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome. And it's important because it sets up my story and I, I need to be able to talk about it even though I did not serve in combat and I did not have combat-related PTSD. I have certainly been around people who have, who are living with it, who maybe couldn't deal with it anymore and made a very permanent choice and people who are just trying to find their way through life after going through this. It is a very real thing. I know very is not a very, well, it's not a strong word to use, but I, I can tell you that this is something that is real. And so the first question I, I get asked about PTSD is, it's like, well, wait a minute, you know, how can you say that these people are inferred, messed up, hurt, wounded, if they didn't get actually hurt in combat? And, you know, the second question that follows that one up is, well, you, you know, that person didn't serve in combat. They didn't shoot anybody. They didn't kill anybody. So why are they going through PTSD? But before I get to those kinds of questions in subsequent podcasts, because those questions are valid and, and they need to be answered so um, you know what to do if you see this in somebody you love or understand where people are coming from. I felt it important to go back and try to talk about a generalized history of how we came to have this with some of my own opinions about the subject and again I'm, I'm laying the groundwork for my story but I'm also trying to raise awareness 
not only for the people who see this from the outside, but also if you're an active duty service member, regardless of what branch you're in, or if you're a veteran, whether you serve in combat or not, and you are experiencing the the, the symptoms, and the, the, the thing that I've been told time and time again by veterans is it feels like they're under, you know when you jump in a pool and you're underwater and you hear people yelling at you, but you're still underwater trying to get to the surface. It, it's been described to me as you're just below the surface of the water. You can see the person talking to you, but you can't really break your head above water. You're just surrounded by water and you can't really move and you can't really function and you can't really experience things and, and people talk to you and they look at you kind of funny because they can't connect with you. All I'm going to say to those people experiencing something like that is, is there is help for you. Whether it's through the VA, private medicine, support groups, veterans groups, if you have a problem, please reach out to somebody. No one's going to judge you. No one's going to think less of you. There's people out there, including myself, that want to help you. So now that I've said that, I wanted to start with you know, how this all came about. There, there's plenty of historical references to what's commonly known as combat fatigue. That's that state of mind where you're just, how it's described is it's a state where you, you, you're, you're just moving around in a daze, almost confused because you've either seen or experienced traumatic events that have exacted a toll on your body and mind. You've asked your your mind has told the body to do things, and the body responded. And, and you know the mind and the body cannot have to work together, right? So when you fatigued your body and your mind to the point where it can't really bounce back, that is combat fatigue. And there are instances of that going back, uh, you know, as, as far as warfare has been known to man. But it really didn't get a framework, at least from what I've been able to tell until the 1800s uh, when you had Sigmund Freud, and I'll, I'll have a link to a write-up he did, and other things around the Civil War when they noticed, because those conflicts were brutal by nature. And, and it wasn't the first time Ken had been used, of course, but Ken were used on a very broad scale there were you know gatling guns were starting to come about in other words more and more uh, um, weapons were designed to disorient shock and cause massive trauma to a body when it hit them versus you know 50 years 75 years prior to that it was still primarily you know, yeah, you had muskets and black powder rifles, but a lot of it was still fought hand-to-hand uh, with, with swords, shields, that kind of thing. So they started coming to the 
realization that, you know, um, a person in, in the Civil War here in the United States would lose a limb or, you know, they came out of a trench after being shelled for, you know, eight hours and, and they, they didn't bounce back. They couldn't remember details about their lives, their, their, their wives' names, you know, who they were, what was going on, and they were kind of like in a daze. And, you know, in the 1880s, 1890s, it was called uh, war neurosis. And war neurosis was just another, you know, name for it. Where because you were in, in battle, you were in combat, you saw things and experienced things that, that left a, a mark on you. But it still, it still wasn't as widely reported and there were a lot of reasons for that. From my understanding, uh, one, the, the information wasn't you know, free-flowing. There was no Veterans Administration back in those days. There weren't the veterans group watching this. There weren't the doctors in private practice who had gone in the military and come out of it. Uh, there, there wasn't the, the, the framework set up to evaluate this stuff. You know, you served your country. You served, you know, your unit you got discharged, you went home. You know, if, if you were lucky, maybe some of your uh, squad mates from your hometown would help you out, but you're pretty much on your own. Uh, World War II happened. World War One happened. World War II happened. World War One. there was a lot of this, uh, and they call it shell shock again because of the trench warfare and what people observed in the trenches and how trench warfare uh, was conducted. And I don't want to spend this time going through all the details of trench warfare, but if you look it up on anything from Wikipedia to military.com, it's a very brutal form of warfare, especially when in World War I they used mustard gas and those types of things to um, you know, move across boundaries. And that left all kinds of uh, physiological and psychological scars on soldiers. And World War II, again, you know, shell shock. All the way up through Vietnam, it was pretty much shell shock. But uh, around the Korean and Vietnam War, they started really trying to track it because, you know, they had kids, for lack of a better term. You know, they were 17, 18-year-old kids going to Vietnam. And, and coming back at the age of 22, 23, absolutely shells of themselves. And, you know, families and parents couldn't understand why. And it was about that time that the Veterans Administration really started trying to track this stuff. It was about that time they started looking at what happened when, you, you know, let's just say you were clearing a building or let's just say you were in a position in, your position was getting, you know, shelled by artillery. The effects of the concussive effects of that shell, you know, exploding, what that did to the human brain, what it did to your psyche, what it did to your outlook on just surviving, you know, how you came back from that. Some people did, some people didn't. But what happened was more and more research started happening. And you know, the post-traumatic stress syndrome was there was a traumatic event in that person's life or a series of events that they just couldn't bounce back from. 
that either the, the brain couldn't process or the body just couldn't let go of. And they have this, I don't, I don't know if a, a disease is the right word. I, I don't want to use that word, but it is a condition that affected these people. And again, I'm, I'm, this is a very short podcast. It's not that long, so I, I can't get into you know all the detail. But again, around after the Vietnam War and through Desert Storm, they really started looking at this. And a lot of the reason that it, it got more and more attention was in the Gulf War. People had Gulf War syndrome. And if you remember, the first Gulf War was relatively short. I mean, we were there for a while. But the actual time on target for combat was short. The majority of the conflict was over in a, in a week. So what happened? Was there PTSD that affected these soldiers that went over to you know, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, and Iraq? And, and that led to more and more discovery and more and more research being done on these conditions. And, and what was found was this is a very real thing but the problem is is threefold one most of us people in the military women included well I don't know about women but I can tell you for myself I I despise going to the doctor I'd rather suffer in silence and pain than, than go to a doctor two when you get out of the military, all you want to do is try to assimilate back into the culture and try to be as normal as possible. And three, you're scared to speak up because if you tell people you have a problem or you're not processing information correctly, your options in terms of, of, of getting a job or being with somebody that you love and care about or want to be with are greatly diminished. So a lot of these cases go unreported for a very long time. But what has started happening in the military now is they're trying to catch this much, much sooner. Staff and COs, officers and NCOs are encouraged to get with their troops and make sure that, you know, everybody is is checked in and, and good to go. And if they're not, they try to get them help. There are there are PTSD programs in the active duty military that that person can take advantage of and are encouraged to do so. But still, there are challenges when you leave the military of trying to get to a VA or a private practice to help you out. There are still inconsistencies along with you know treatment options. Uh, there there's a there's a huge segment of the medical field that just wants to find the right kind of drugs. There are other people that want to pursue more holistic means of treatment. And then there are the, the third way that wants to do, um, you know, counseling. You know, trying to figure out what's, what's blocking that person so they can, as this gentleman told me, kind of put his head above water, get air, and climb out of the pool. So all this kind of wraps up into this thing that I, I see and I've met people dealing with and I'm kind of at a loss because I was not a combat veteran. I did not serve in combat. However, there were some times in, in my service that 
some things happened and you know it, it left a mark on me and it can be completely non-combat related you could be you know working on a piece of equipment and have something happen to your buddy to yourself and you might not ever recover from that so that's completely possible and that's kind of the other thing you know if you weren't in combat it's kind of a you know, why are you doing all this, making all this noise about yourself if you never really served, and, you know, what's the deal? So, again, this all kind of leads up to the story I'm trying to write, and it also leads up into this this part of the advocacy for Oscar Mike Radio where, you know, if you're one of these people who served our country, it doesn't matter if you served, you know, five months ago or ten years ago, and you're not feeling right, and you're having headaches, and you can't sleep, and you can't eat right, and your your girlfriend, your 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 boyfriend, your husband, wife are at the end of their rope. I just want to make it clear that there is there's help for you, and we will get into that. And if you need somebody to talk to, you can reach out to me at Travis at OscarMikeRadio.com, and maybe I can't help you out, but I will try to get you in contact with somebody that will. And one thing that is being made very uh, apparent to me and I'm being told very emphatically that uh, the current uh, Veterans Administration is very keen on making sure our vets get help. So again, this, this, this episode was kind of a high-level overview about PTSD, what it is, its history how it became just a simple thing of, you know, hey, you're, hey, you just saw some stuff from war and breaks to an actual, you know, condition that people are trying to research, study, and monitor so we do not have veterans making a very terrible choice to end their pain. So, again, if you're feeling that way, please reach out to me reach out to somebody else in your town, city, any veterans group will try to get you in contact with somebody that will help you. And, and that's my word for this episode of Oscar Mike Radio. Okay. The complaint department. They're on it. They are on it. They're happy, which means that they have found something new to whine about and how do I say this what they've chosen to really focus on this week is there was this article in military.com that says they're going to I think it's the Navy is what what uh, grunt told me is going to do away with the female uh, enlisted officer's skirt and give them all, you know, dress trousers. And he didn't understand that. You know, why can't, it's, it's not a big deal. Women in the business world wear, you know, dresses and they're supposed to look professional. What's the big deal with the military? I, I'm not a woman. I, I don't know. Um, I would ask any uh, female um, service member, or veteran who served, you know, is, is there a real need to have a trouser set only, or do you like having the option, or did you like having the option 
of having this skirt? Let me know. You can weigh in on the Facebook page. You can email me. Uh, the Facebook page is Oscar Mike Radio. And I would love to hear what you think about that. I don't know. I The option for me to wear a dress in the Marine Corps was never there. And I, I kind of wonder why uh, Grunt's so upset about that. But that's his complaint of the week. Uh, Pogue is on assignment. And he's looking at... Um, you know, some new Air Force regs that are making him unhappy, which means he's happy. So that is the uh, complaint department's contribution to this episode. Um, unit shout out. This is a cool one. And it's on the uh, Oscar Mike Radio website in this uh, podcast episode where the uh, U.S. Army paratroopers from the 4th Brigade, 25th Inf- Infantry, do a cold-weather, extreme cold-weather jump near Dead Horse, Alaska, as part of Operation Pegasus. And you can find this on the link. It's on the military.com. <laughs> you know, uh, Dead Horse, I looked this thing up. It is in the middle of nowhere. And it is, has a distinction of being 250 miles or so north of the Arctic Circle. So you're, I'm watching these guys jump out of this C-17, and they're all in the cold weather. And the temperature that day, or the average temperature for this time of year, is like negative 35. So I guess, you know, I can say as a Marine to these soldiers who did this, you got a oorah from me. If you guys were able to jump out of an airplane in extreme cold land and suit up and get up and go, you've got a solid oorah from this Marine. So uh, good job. And that's why you need a shout out for the week. Upcoming events. Now, I don't have any upcoming events listed because I'm in the process of trying to get events from a lot of people for Memorial Day. A lot of organizations in the greater Boston area and people who are, you know, outside of Boston, different states, are, are, are getting their events for Memorial Day already set up. And I want to encourage you, if you have an event for this Memorial Day you want listed on the Oscar Mike Radio website or podcast, again, please email me. Uh, the email is Travis at OscarMikeRadio.com. And I will get it on the podcast. It'll be on the website. And as this gets closer to Memorial Day, I'll probably do a show on these events. Uh, Memorial Day is not Veterans Day. Memorial Day is about the people who pay the ultimate price, excuse me, to uh, defend our freedom in our country. And while you're having those barbecues and the ladies are looking so fine, we need to remember that people pay dearly so they can enjoy that freedom. So I'm doing all that this week. If you have anything, again, let me know, and uh, we'll get it on the podcast. So that that's it for this week. I appreciate you uh, checking this out. You can find uh, me on OscarMikeRadio.com. I'm also on SoundCloud and um, Stitcher, Google Play, and iTunes. So uh, be careful out there. I love you all. 
Take care. This is Travis, a.k.a. P-Dog, Oster Mike Radio, out.